In 2013, a relatively unknown actress burst onto the public scene. Her name is Lupita Nyong'o. Um, there's a picture of, of Lupita. And she had her first feature film role in the movie 12 Years a Slave. Um, her performance was met with rave reviews. She was nominated for several awards. She actually won the Oscar for Best Supporting Actress uh, that year. And her fame kind of skyrocketed after her Oscar win. She was named the most beautiful woman by People Magazine and Woman of the Year by Glamour. And I remember watching the Oscars that year and thinking, I've never seen this woman before. Who, who is this woman that, that, that everyone is raving about? Um, I'd never heard of her before because she hadn't really done much before that. But all of a sudden, this moment, kind of she burst onto the public stage and everybody was kind of amazed at, at this, this amazing actress. Now, you know, many years later, she's been in many, many films. Um, and so I decided to, you know, as I, I wanted to learn more about who this, this Lapita was. Well, today is, is Palm Sunday, as, as we've mentioned, the day when we remember Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem. And for many people in Jerusalem, they didn't know much about Jesus. Uh, the majority of Jesus' ministry was up in the northern region of Galilee. And by the time um, that he came down to Jerusalem and the way that he entered Jerusalem, it got people's attention. And so we'll see in this passage that, that the people of Jerusalem, in, in one of the verses it says that, that as Jesus entered into Jer Jerusalem, the people were wondering, who is this? Who is this? And that's the title of, of, our, uh, of the message today. Uh, we're going to hear that question raised in our text. And we're going to be looking at what does this day, Palm Sunday, and Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem, what does that tell us about who Jesus is? What does, it, what, what, what does it reveal about Jesus' identity? So our text today is, is from the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew, Matthew chapter 21. We'll be reading verses 1 through 11. And um, I'm going to, we're going to, because it's Palm Sunday and you, and a bunch of us have palm branches, I want to be a little more interactive with our scripture reading today. So I want to actually invite you to, everybody to stand. And there's a part in here where the crowds shout out. And I'm actually going to ask you to read that part with me, okay? So please stand together. We're going to stand up together as I, as I read uh, the scripture. And we'll get, when we get to uh, verse 9, it says, The crowds that went ahead of him and those that followed shouted, Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And so I want to ask you, when you see that, to sh shout that out. And maybe wave your palm branches if you feel, if you feel like it as well. All right? So here are these words from Matthew chapter 21. As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethpage on the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and at once you will find a donkey tied there with her colt by, by her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, tell him that the Lord needs them, and he will send them right away. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Say to the daughter of Zion, See, your king comes to you. Gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. The disciples went and did as Jesus had instructed them. They brought the donkey and the colt, placed their cloaks on them, and Jesus sat on them. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road, while others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. The crowds that went ahead of him and those that followed shouted, Hosanna in the, to the son of David. 
Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. When Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, Who is this? The crowds answered, This is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word. Um, Thank you for this amazing account of Jesus' entry into Jerusalem. We pray that you would open our eyes to see more clearly uh, what this was all about and what it reveals about who you are, Jesus, um, even as we think about how you were revealing yourself to the people of Jerusalem back then. So open our ears now to receive from you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. As we think about this, this question of, of, what, of who is this, you know, the, those, the, the people of Jerusalem asking that question as they saw this, this Jesus riding into Jerusalem on this donkey, wondering, who is this? Um, the first thing that, that this triumphal entry into Jerusalem reveals about who Jesus is, about his identity, is that he is the king. He is the king. Jesus and his disciples, uh, they were coming to Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover. And traditionally, People who made this pilgrimage to Jerusalem, um, when they would go to the Passover, they, they traditionally walked on foot, especially for the final miles entering the city. Everyone would walk on foot into the city. And so the fact that Jesus asks his disciples to get a donkey for him to ride into the city shows that he is not just any other pilgrim. He's making a statement by riding into Jerusalem in a donkey. He's not just walking in. He's saying that there's something different. And the choice of a donkey is significant as well. We might think that, that a donkey doesn't, doesn't seem like the kind of animal that a king would ride. But actually, historically, kings did ride donkeys, uh, particularly in times of peace. And in verse 5 of our text, Matthew uh, actually quotes from the prophet Zechariah, Zechariah 9, that says, See, your king comes to you. Gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. So Zechariah, back in the Old Testament, spoke about a king who would come into Jerusalem riding on a donkey. The time of, by the time of Jesus, this prophecy actually from Zechariah had, had become associated with the promised Messiah. Not just a king, but the king, the anointed one, who would come in the line of King David. And so when Jesus tells two of his disciples in verse 2, he says, Go to the village ahead of you, and at once you will find a donkey tied there with her colt by her. Untie them and bring them to me. Jesus, by, by asking them to do this, he is intentionally acting out what Zechariah had prophesied about the Messiah. And so basically through Jesus' actions, Jesus is making a statement here. He's saying, hey, city of Jerusalem, crowds, I am the king. I am the Messiah. I am the one that Zechariah was speaking about. And the crowds who were with Jesus, they they seem to understand this. And they actually go along with it. In verse 8, we read, a very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road, while others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. You know, in in ancient times, this was basically the equivalent of rolling out the red carpet, Um, was kind of, you know, laying cloaks down on the ground, laying branches. Um, This was a sign of honor, a sign of praise. We see that 
um, earlier in the Old Testament with, with one of the other kings of Israel, that this was a way that they honored the king was by putting down cloaks and branches. And the crowds with Jesus, they, they shouted a proclamation of kingship as well. In verse 9, the people shout, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Um, as I mentioned earlier in the service, with the call to worship uh, from Psalm 118, they were, the people were actually quoting from that psalm as they shouted this out. Uh, that was our call to worship. And it was one of the psalms that, that pilgrims would traditionally sing on their way into Jerusalem, on their way up to the temple. Uh, and so the words, they fit that occasion, but, but with Jesus riding on a donkey and the people laying cloaks and branches before him, the words of this psalm took on an even deeper meaning, that it wasn't just that they were coming into Jerusalem for the Passover, but that they were actually announcing that Jesus was the son of David, that he was the one coming in the name of the Lord. They were proclaiming Jesus as, as this king they had been waiting for. And verse 10 continues the action by saying, when Jesus entered Jerusalem... The whole city was stirred and asked, who is this? That word um, stirred there, the the Greek word behind that is is a word that can more literally mean shaken. Um, It's actually the root for our English word seismic, which is the word that we use to talk about an earthquake. And so the the people of Jerusalem, it was as if Jesus riding into Jerusalem was this earthquake. The city was, was stirred and shaken up by this prophet from the north entering their city who seemed to be claiming to be the Messiah. Who is this? The people were asking. Could it be that he's really the one we've been waiting for, that he is the Messiah, the king? I think it's sometimes hard for us to put ourselves in the shoes of the people in Jesus' day because we are, we're so used to talking about Jesus as the Messiah, as king, that we can, we can sometimes miss how radical And revolutionary, this entry into Jerusalem was. The followers of Jesus were entering the capital of Judea, which was under the control of the Roman Empire. And in fact, there there are some scholars who think that that actually, potentially on the same day that Jesus was entering into Jerusalem from the east, which is where pilgrims traditionally would enter into the city, that actually on the western part of the city, Pontius Pilate, the Roman governor was entering Jerusalem as well for the Passover feast, but he was entering with troops to make sure that to keep the peace during the Passover with the possibility of, of revolution happening, that there was, there was this question. And, and so Jesus is entering in one side, announcing himself as the king, while, while the Roman governor is entering in in the name of the emperor. And so there's a potential collision that could be happening here. And the reality is that anyone claiming to be a king at that time, in that climate, was a potential threat to the power and control of Rome. In fact, in in John's gospel, that is actually the accusation that the Jewish religious leaders make against Jesus to Pilate. They go to Pilate and say to him that Jesus is claiming to be a king. And, and in, in John's gospel, they, they say to Pilate, anyone who claims to be a king opposes Caesar. So they're saying, this Jesus, he, he's disloyal to the emperor. He's, he's claiming to be a king. And so the religious leaders, they brought Jesus to Pilate because Jesus' claim to be king was, was a threat not only to the Roman powers, but actually it was a, it was a threat to them. 
that was really what was behind them bringing Jesus because they felt threatened with their power. Jesus' claim to be king can be a threatening claim. It's a, it's a, it's a powerful claim that Jesus is making here. He's saying that he is the king, the one and only one who rules over everything. And, and, and in our culture, that is an unpopular claim to make. You know, people, many people in our culture think that that, is a, that that claim is too exclusive. I mean, maybe, maybe you're willing to acknowledge Jesus was a good man, that he was a wise teacher, he was a good example. You know, he was, he was one good teacher among others, but, but to say that Jesus alone is the king, the ruler over our world, over our universe, the ruler over our lives, the one whom we all owe allegiance to, for many people, that, that's too much. That's too much of a claim to make. For others, you may acknowledge with your words that Jesus is king, but when you look at your day-to-day life, you wonder, is that, is that actually true? Is Jesus really king of every part of your life? You know, it can be very easy to come to church on Palm Sunday and, and sing some songs of praise that lift up Jesus as king for an hour, but then go back to your home the rest of your week with really yourself being the real king in your life. The reality is that we all want to be king. We want to be in control of our lives, to make our own decisions according to what we think is best. And, and the claim that Jesus says that, you, know, I, you need to bow to me, you need to, to come under my kingship, that can feel threatening to us sometimes. I think we can actually see this tendency from the very beginning of our lives. Um, you know, my son Lucas, who's, who's five now, when he was about a year and a half year old, uh, a year and a half, he, one of the things that he loved to do was to take my finger and pull me wherever he wanted me to go. And, and so, you know, most of the time I, I kind of enjoyed that, you know, just getting pulled, pulled around by him, watching him kind of explore this new world as, as he was just kind of learning that. But there were other times where we were trying to get him to sit down for a meal or to go upstairs for bedtime, and, and he would start pulling me the other way. You know, he didn't want to go to, to, to eat, or he didn't want to go upstairs for bedtime. And when I didn't go with him, oh, he started to cry and get upset. And, 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 and at that point, he couldn't really talk yet, but I knew that basically what he was saying was, Daddy, I don't want you to go I don't want to go where you're taking me. I want to go over here. I am the king. You follow me. <laughs> by, by pulling on my finger, that's sort of what, what he was saying. And, and so I would just pick Lucas up and say, no, Lucas, you're not the king. Uh, you need to eat. You need to sleep. I'm your father. I'm doing this for your own good, even though you don't want to. How often do we relate to Jesus like that? Where, where we tell him our plans. You know, no, no, Jesus, no, no, no. I, this is what I really want my life to be. Th- th- this is my plan for my life, Jesus. And, and when things don't go the way that we want them to go, how often do we react similarly? We get upset. We get frustrated that Jesus isn't following our plans. The idea of someone else being in charge, of, of calling us to submit to his authority, we don't like that. It's threatening to us. It goes against 
our sinful nature, our, our inner king that wants to rise up? What if Jesus tells us to do something that we don't want to do? What if he tells us to give up something that we don't want to give up? Who is this Jesus? Is he really the king? Why should I come under his rule and authority? We're going to come back to that question about why it is that we should submit to Jesus' authority. But, but it's important to recognize that Jesus, he's making this claim that he is the king. He doesn't give us the option of just taking him as a good teacher or a good example. He tells us to follow him, to obey him, to worship him, to submit our lives to him. And we can say no to that. But that's the decision that each of us is faced with. Will we submit our lives to the king? Or will we try to assert our own authority as king? Now there's another aspect of Jesus' identity that his triumphal entry reveals. And that is that, that he is the king, but he is also a different kind of king. He is a different kind of king. Jesus' claim to be the Messiah, it was threatening to, to some, to the religious and political authorities in Jerusalem, but it was welcomed by others because many people were tired of the oppressive rule of the Romans. You know, some of others felt judged and excluded by the Jewish religious leaders. And so when Jesus came riding into Jerusalem as a king, many people were excited about this because they, were, they wanted a change in leadership. They didn't want to be under the Romans' control. They didn't want to be under these, these, you know, these religious leaders. They wanted a, a new kind of King Jesus. But the thing was that they were expecting Jesus to be a certain kind of king. And Jesus was announcing that he was going to be a different kind of king. Different from how they were, what they were expecting. See, what were people expecting Jesus to be? They were expecting Jesus to lead a rebellion and to overthrow the Roman oppressors. They were hoping that, that he would come in and set up a new political order, that he would restore Israel to the place of power and influence, like when David was king. Others might have hoped that Jesus would do away with those corrupt religious leaders, establishing a new religious order by force as king. And here we're brought back again to the Jesus' choice of, bringing, of riding into Jerusalem on a donkey. Because he was claiming to be king, as I said, kings rode in, into Jerusalem with a, with, in a donkey, but it was a different kind of king. Because many people, if they were thinking about a king coming to Jerusalem in that context, they probably would have been hoping that Jesus would have been riding a war horse into Jerusalem. Riding into Jerusalem with a sword in his hand, leading a rebellion. We're coming in to overthrow the Romans. But, but no, Jesus chose a donkey. An animal ridden by kings in times of peace. If you go back to, to Zechariah chapter 9... The verse after the one that Matthew quotes, in verse 10 of Zechariah 9, we read, I will take away the chariots from Ephraim and the war horses from Jerusalem, and the battle bow will be broken. He will proclaim peace to the nations. Jesus came into Jerusalem as a king bringing peace to the nations, not war against Rome. Instead of a violent rebellion, Jesus talked about turning the other cheek. 
and loving your enemies. Instead of ruling a political kingdom, Jesus said that his kingdom was not of this world. He compared the kingdom of God to a tiny mustard seed that slowly grows into a tree, not an instantaneous revolution. Jesus said that he was actually going to be a suffering king, a king who was going to die. The crowds didn't like that kind of talk. In fact, his own disciples didn't like that kind of talk. It can be very tempting for us to want the kind of king that Israel was expecting rather than the different kind of king who Jesus actually was. Sometimes in our lives, we can be faced with with opposition or difficulties. And and sometimes what we want is we want a a solution that comes through force and power. We want want God to come and just change everything and and bring about a revolution and and make our lives much easier. You know, sometimes in in our culture... We, we live in a culture that's, that's becoming more and more secular. And as Christians, sometimes we can be tempted to think that the answer is to force our values and beliefs on society. And just like the people of Israel, we can think that, that the solution to our problems is a political one. For them, it was we just need to overthrow the Romans. And sometimes for us, it can... Be like, we just need to overthrow the Democrats or the Republicans, depending on your political leanings. And I'm not saying that we shouldn't be involved as citizens. And many times political change is needed and can can make a big difference. But the way of King Jesus is not through force. The way of establishing Jesus' kingdom was not through legislating what's what's right and true. It's, It's the much slower, more difficult painful path of proclaiming that truth through our words and actions, showing love and grace to those who we may disagree with, and trusting that God can use our witness to change people's hearts, which could actually result in a much deeper and more lasting change than trying to force our views on people. The same thing applies on a more personal level. There's a friend of mine who he was trying to get a new program started at the university that where, where he was working, but the person in charge of that department was not being very supportive, and my friend was getting frustrated that this supervisor was not, was not doing things the way that he wanted it, and he was tempted to try to force his program through by going around that director, somehow putting pressure on him to be more supportive. And when he was sharing this with me, I was, I was thinking about this passage and asked him, what would it look like for you to show love to that director? How could you help and serve him rather than trying to force your way? Could it be that following King Jesus' humble, sacrificial path might actually lead to a changed heart and a more open perspective toward you? Jesus is a different kind of king. He doesn't do things the way that that we often want to do things. But the most surprising characteristic of Jesus that that this passage reveals, or actually it begins to point to, is that Jesus is a suffering king. We don't get that exactly from today's text. On Palm Sunday, everything looks happy and triumphant. And you know what? When you come back next Sunday on Easter Sunday, 
things are going to be even more happy and triumphant. But there's a lot that happens in the week between Palm Sunday and Easter. The only way that we can actually understand the joy of Easter Sunday, next Sunday, is if we first go through what happens during the week in between. Going through the darkness and the suffering of Good Friday. You see, Jesus didn't come to to Jerusalem to be crowned a victorious ruler. He came knowing that actually what he was going to be crowned with was a crown of thorns on his head. And as he heard the joyful cries of Hosanna on Palm Sunday, he knew that five days later, he was going to hear shouts of crucify him from the people in Jerusalem. The king of the universe knew that he was going to be nailed to a cross with a sign that mockingly said, king of the Jews. Why did Jesus go through that kind of suffering? It wasn't just something that happened to him. I mean, part of what led to that crucifixion was the fact that that Jesus was disappointing the people. He didn't do things the way that they wanted. But when you read through the gospel accounts of Jesus' death, it is clear that Jesus was not a victim of his circumstances here, that he went to the cross willingly. He chose to go there. Why? Well, Jesus, he wasn't coming to Jerusalem just to celebrate the Passover that week. He was coming actually to act out a new Passover. He wasn't coming to free Israel from the slavery of Egypt, as they remembered in Passover, or the oppression of Rome. He was coming to actually free the whole world from the slavery and oppression of sin and death. And the only way he could do that was by becoming the ultimate Passover lamb, the innocent one, sacrificed so that death would pass over all of us. Earlier I talked about how deep within us, we all have this desire to be king, right? To be in control, to be in charge of our lives. And when we do that, we rebel against the true king, which means that really what we deserve as we deserve to be executed as traitors. But God loves us. And so he was willing to come into our world, to take on flesh, to be executed in our place. He was willing to take our place, to bear the consequence of our rebellion, of our trying to be in control of our lives And so earlier when I asked the question, why would we ever want to come under the authority of King Jesus? Why would we want to give up our lives and our plans and our goals and be willing to submit ourselves to his? Because King Jesus died for you. Because he was willing to suffer for rebels and traitors like us. How can we not bow down in worship and service to the king who saved us? On Palm Sunday, the crowds shouted, Hosanna. By the time of Jesus, that that word Hosanna had become basically just an exclamation of praise. But, But the original meaning of it, as I said earlier in the service, was save. Some of those people on that day may have been thinking about that original meaning. But if they were shouting it, save, they were hoping that Jesus again would save them from Rome. Little did they know that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem actually to do, to save them, 
but to save them in a much deeper way. To save them and us from sin and death. So as I close, I want to to encourage you to ponder the question that the people asked that day in Jerusalem. Who is this? Who is Jesus to you? Who is this Jesus? The crowds responded, this is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. And although that was a true response, it fell short of Jesus' fuller identity. So how would you respond to that question? Would you call Jesus the king? Is he your king? Are you willing to submit every part of your life to him? Have you come under his authority? Would you call him your savior? Do you acknowledge, do you realize that that you need his saving? That you need him to wash away your rebellion and your sin? Have you received that gift of forgiveness and life that Jesus purchased for you on the cross? As we enter Holy Week, I want to invite you to not jump from Palm Sunday to Easter. I want to invite you to walk with Jesus over this next week. To walk with him to his Last Supper with his disciples on Thursday. And to follow him to the Garden of Gethsemane where he prayed for us. Come to the cross on Good Friday and hear him cry out, Father, forgive them. And it is finished. And then next Sunday, let us all go to the tomb and discover once again that death could not hold our king. For he is risen and alive. Let's pray. Lord, we acknowledge that we often want to be king in our lives, that we want control, that we resist your claim to rule completely. Lord, help us to even see the ways that we do that, Lord, the ways that we, that we want to run our own lives. Lord, forgive us for the ways that we don't want to embrace the path, the different kind of kingship path that Jesus did, Lord, the ways that we want to push our own way, that we want to enforce and force things the way that we want them, the ways that we resist the call to actually follow you to the cross, to lay down our lives, to love our enemies, to be willing to even suffer. Lord, we don't want that. Forgive us for the ways that we resist this. Thank you that you, God, were, were not, that you were, were willing to go that path, that you were willing to lay down your life to die for us, to die for rebels like us, for stubborn people like us, people who, who try to assert our own rule, but that you are willing to give your life for us. And as we see that love expressed on the cross, we pray that it would change our hearts, that we would say, Lord, of course, rule in my life. Lead me wherever you want me to go, even in a path of suffering, even in a path of laying down my own life, giving up something that I hold dear. Lord, show us, Lord, what that might be, what you're calling us to, how to follow you 
and how to embrace your role as Savior and as King. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.